0: Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. I wonder if you've put much thought at different moments in your life to the day when Jesus returns and judgment has passed, and we've entered into this season where the eternal, forever kingdom of Jesus is fully established, where there's no more misery, no more sin, no more sickness, no more, no more pain, no more crying, all the things we read about in Revelation. Have you spent much time thinking about the kind of conversations that we'll have in that day? The things that we'll do, the things that will occupy our minds, the, have you thought about the kinds of songs that we'll sing when we sit around a campfire are the stories I imagine, I don't know why, I imagine a rocking chair like at Cracker Barrel, like a whole bunch of them, and, and sitting in the rocking chairs looking out over a, a scene that I could never imagine how beautiful it might be, but sitting in a rocking chair, the kinds of stories that we'll tell, tell as we look back on the days past, and, and I don't know if there will be movie theaters in those days, but I really, really would like to believe there will be. And I wonder, have you wondered what kind of movies that we'll line up for and we'll wait to get in to see the story of these things that happened in days and seasons gone by? It's one of those curiosities that sometimes I come to that I don't know can ever be satisfied until the day when it actually happens. But did you know that the Bible actually gives us some clues as to what those stories will be about and those songs that we will sing will be about? It does. Revelation Chapter 15, verse 3 says, And they sang, and this is the story of the future, and they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O God the Almighty, righteous and true are your ways, King of nations. It tells us the songs of the new earth will be of the adventures of Moses, and the adventures of Jesus, and the adventures of the saints, in the days when the world was still broken and marred by sin. Songs will be sung about those days. There's a story in Mark 14 you probably are familiar with. It's about a woman who very simply, very humbly came upon Jesus. and She took what the Bible calls a costly perfume and she anointed him with it. And it says those who saw her do this were scolding her. They were outraged. They were indignant that she would take something of such great value and be so frivolous with it. There's a better way to use your valuable resources, woman. And so Jesus spoke up and Jesus said, truly I say to you, Wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. And I love, I love that he says this because it tells me something about what really matters. We won't be telling stories recalling that test that caused us so much anxiety and how we faced it at school or, or the big deal, we finally got done at work and I hit the next level and I got the promotion. We won't even talk about the big Disney trip as great as it is. But the stories that we will tell and the songs that will be written and sung and the movies that we will line up to go see are the stories of how faith moved across the earth and how it conquered unbelief through unlikely people like you and me. Those are the stories that we will tell and the songs that we will sing in the day that Jesus returns. And this month we're talking all about one big thing. One big thing that we're talking about is how God has this amazing pursuing love for people who have not yet found faith saving faith in Jesus Christ and he has a purpose and a plan to reach those people through you and through me that's what we are talking about we've heard Jesus in John 20 told his followers he said just as the father sent me with purpose and with a mission so I send you and you are sent with a mission you are sent with a purpose and it doesn't matter if you are single or married it doesn't matter if you work 40 hours or 80 hours doesn't matter if you go to school, it doesn't matter if you're retired, it doesn't matter if you're a corporate executive or a school teacher or an engineer or in the medical profession, if doesn't matter what you do, your main thing and everything that you do every day is to spread the gospel, to bring the grace and love of Jesus into this world and to Go and make disciples. That's what Jesus said in the Great Commission. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. That is the main purpose of your very existence, of your every waking breath. Romans 10, Paul says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise. <laughs> it's a guarantee that Audra was talking about. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved and then he has a series of questions how then will they call upon him they as those who have not yet found saving faith in Jesus how will they call upon him in whom they've not believed and how will they believe in him whom they've not heard and how will they hear without a preacher and he's not talking about someone whose title is preacher he's talking about every Christian each one reach one every Christian going and talking about the good news of the gospel talking about Jesus in the world to the people that you see every day. How will they, until they have heard a preacher, and how will they preach how we will go unless we see ourselves as sent, just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. This is a picture of God's redemptive plan. It's, it's His entire plan for turning the world upside down and making the gospel known to all people. So the bigger question for us then You know, what song will we sing someday in our Cracker Barrel rocker in in the new earth? It really is the question that leads us to. It's the question of, am I living a life with the things that I do and the things that I say that will make a great story someday? More specifically, how will my life, how will your life impact the lives of people that you know who walk in darkness, who have not found peace and faith in Jesus at this point? How will your life make an impact? If you would grab your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 1. That's where I want to park us this morning. Philippians chapter 1. It's a text that I think will really help us to orient ourselves around the one big thing that our lives are purposed for, that God intends to do with our waking breath each day. Now, Philippians is a, a letter written by Paul while he's in prison. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. So heads up there. He's writing to a church that he has planted to a people that he knows intimately and that he deeply loves. We know that because in chapter 1, in the early verses, he says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you with joy in every prayer for you. And the joy that he has isn't just because they're nice people. They may be, but he says, this is what my joy is about. It's in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. He has overwhelming joy that they are participators in the gospel, that it's not just something that they've heard, but it's something that they, they live out every day, and they make great stories in heaven because of it. Paul writes to them, I will not be put to shame with all boldness. Christ will even now as always be exalted, whether by his life or whether by his death. Jesus will be exalted in him. In other words, it doesn't matter that I'm in prison. It doesn't matter what may come of my life Jesus will be exalted. His name will be lifted. His story will be told through my life, one way or another. And this is then what he writes to them. Look at verse 27. Paul says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. With one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too is from God. I want to talk about these two verses this morning. There's so much for us here, and we'll start just with the first word. The first word is only. It's emphatic. It's Paul saying, if if there's nothing else that you have ever gotten from me. In all the time that I spent with you and all of the time I've spent writing this letter, if you read this letter and you get nothing else out of it, get this out of it. May your life, may the manner in which you conduct yourselves only reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ in every way. In what you do and in what you say, may it reflect that Jesus is king of all, that he rules and that he reigns over the world and over your heart. Here's what Paul would say to us. He wrote this to the Philippians, it was true to them, but by God's grace, the Holy Spirit speaks this to us as well. Paul would say, the gospel of Jesus is something that should transform every moment of your life every day, right? It is not something that Paul would say that we would just add to our already nice existence. But in every fabric of my life, not just one part of my life, it would be shaped and transformed by the reality that Jesus is king, that Jesus does rule over my heart. And so in everything that I do, I would be enveloped by, I would be swept up into what is Jesus now doing in me and through my life? What does he intend to do? Paul uses the phrase, walk in. And only conduct yourselves or walk in a manner that is in line with the gospel of Jesus. This phrase he uses, conduct yourselves, is a word in Greek that he uses only one time in all of his writings throughout the New Testament. It's only used a second time in the New Testament by Luke and Acts. Very, very rarely is this word used. It carries a very particular meaning, though. It means to live as citizens. Conduct yourselves means live as a citizen of the gospel a citizen of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means it's speaking about your allegiances, who owns you. It's speaking about to whom and to what and to where you belong. And to live as citizens means that your public life, you're a citizen in society, that your public life declares something about uh, what your allegiance lies in and who or where you belong to. So Warren Wearsby made this little comment. He he said, we as Christians are citizens of heaven. Paul's going to talk about that in chapter 3. We're citizens of heaven and while we're on earth, we ought to behave like heaven's citizens. We ought to behave in our everyday life as if we fully comprehend the idea that we are citizens uh, of heaven. Or in other words, it should never come as a surprise to anyone in your life if they were to find out that you're a Christian. The people that you work with, the kids, the people that you go to school with, the people in your class, the people in PE, the people at recess, the people in your neighborhood whose dog keeps getting out, right? The, the people who are driving in traffic and you see them each day and you groan, you're like, oh, that person again. I see the same people on the way to work all the time. The people in the carpool line, the, the people in your life should never be shocked if one day they found out that you were a Christian, I remember the story one day of, of two, two guys who had worked together uh, for several seasons, and, and they had gone their own separate ways, their careers took them in different paths, and one day, one of those men walked into the doors of Legacy Church, and when he walked in, he spied someone across the room, and it was his old workmate, the person he had worked with and, and knew, and they saw each other and went, you're a Christian? And he goes, you too? I had no idea! How great! And it's a funny story, but it it is a moment where you go, it shouldn't have been a surprise. Only conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ means it would never be a surprise to anyone to find out that you are a citizen of Jesus's kingdom. The question that that Paul thrusts at them, I mean, you look at it in chapter 3, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. He says, I want you to live in a way that's consistent with that kind of citizenship. So Am I, are you, living in a way that reflects the gospel? Am I conducting myself in a manner worthy of the gospel? It's a good question. And it's a question that we shouldn't ask, like, in and out of season. It's a question that we should be asking, like, all day long. It's a question I should be asking myself when I wake What's on my mind, the motive that, that gets me out of bed in the morning, it's a, it's a question I should be asking as I interact with my family and as I travel and as I, I, I arrive at work. It's a question I should be asking all throughout the day. Am I conducting myself now with my lips and with my life in a manner that is consistent with or worthy of the true value of the gospel of Jesus? Because our citizenship is in heaven. Ephesians, uh, Paul adds, not only are we citizens of heaven, he says, but we are family members of the household of God. And the picture that Paul is painting is that with a citizenship in heaven, if you are a member of the kingdom of God, your allegiance, your fidelity, should be very clear that you are living for that kingdom. And it should be on public display to whom and to what you belong. Understand this... Becoming a Christian is not about where you sit on Sunday. It is not about the style of life that you have or the brand or genre of music or reading that you have. It's not even really about the morals that you have, but it is about the reality of Jesus Christ being the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ come to earth, Jesus Christ being crucified, resurrecting, and giving life and joy and satisfaction to all who would cling to him. All who would depend on him with our lives. That's what it means to become a Christian. And when that happens, it begins to overwhelm or outshine all other things in your life that try to claim your attention or, or, or steal your affection. Remember Paul in, in Philippians 3, he said, I count all things to be lost and c- compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And please remember, Paul was a a very highly educated person. Paul was a person of pretty great influence. He had a a certain measure of power, and it was a growing influence and power. He hadn't reached his ceiling yet. He He was a somebody. He had an incredible resume. But he says, when I met Jesus, all those things didn't become a little less, but they became loss in comparison to the value of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. His favorite word for himself in describing his relationship with Jesus is servant. He goes, it is so much greater to be Jesus' servant than to be this powerful dude in my day that all of that stuff is stealing from me. It was stealing life and joy and satisfaction and I had no clue. And his life showed us that this wasn't lip service. It wasn't just something that he wrote in a line to try to sound holy, but it really was a representation of the way he felt the way he thought and the way he lived, I want you to remember that your life is telling a story. Your life, the way you live, the things that you say, the things that you accomplish, the things that you endeavor are telling a story. And the question is, is it the gospel story that's being told? There's an old poem. I have no idea who wrote it, but I want to share it with you. It says, you are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, By the deeds that you do and the words that you say, people read what you write, whether faithful or true. Just what is the gospel according to you? You understand, your life is telling a story. Is it a gospel story? Does it reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ? The things that you do and the things that you say. All right, how do we do this? How do we... How do we only conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy or consistent of of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, we conduct our lives in a way that is consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ when every single area of our life has been submitted to Jesus, when every single area of our life, nothing is held back from Jesus. When we say, you being king isn't just something that I sing about in a song on Sunday, but, but I truly bow before you in every area of my life and the way you know if that's true or not is if all of your thinking and all of your doing goes through the measure of what does Jesus have to say about this what does Jesus think and what does Jesus say in this area of my life and you go well Kevin I don't know what Jesus has to say about everything that happens in 2022 in my particularly complex life well, then we go to the, the Scriptures and we read what Jesus said and we read what Jesus did and we just do as He said and we do as He did and we find that He does have a lot to say with every relationship, every endeavor, every, every matter of work or play of our life. Jesus has a lot to do and a lot to say. Is Jesus that true north for everything that I think and everything that I do? The fact is we always live lives that are in line with what we bow down to. Does that make sense? The, the way that we live is always consistent with whatever our heart is swept up into, whatever our, our affections belong to, wherever our allegiances are. You think about an army uh, belonging to a king, and a king directs an army, and the army goes where the king says and does what the king says to do and doesn't question, doesn't doubt, just goes and does it. Why? Because the army has complete fidelity and faith in their king they are there for his glory they are there to represent the king they are there trusting that my king is sovereign he is good he knows what he's doing i can depend on him and so they go living a life that is in 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 sync with the directions and the glory of that king think about us as, as citizens of the united states of america when we live in a way that reflects the cultures that we live in, it becomes apparent and obvious, and we're only conducting ourselves in a manner that is worthy of US culture. You go to another country and, and people look at you, they hear you speak, and they go, Oh, I could see there are a bunch of Americans, right? And they do so because they recognize in us certain cultures that have shaped and transformed the way that we approach life and the way that we the way that we speak. And when we do that, we're only simply living in a manner that is worthy of the US or American cultures in which we live. D.A. Carson said it well. He said, conduct worthy of the gospel is above all conduct that promotes the gospel. Do you hear that? Say it again. Conduct worthy of the gospel is above all other things. We're not going to talk about styles and, and language and we're not going to talk about cultures and to do this or not do this. Above all, conduct that is worthy of the gospel is a conduct that promotes, endorses the gospel into the world if we're to be a people who only conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ if we're to live lives that promote the gospel what's that going to look like what does it look like to conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel specifically and practically Paul says three things in these two verses that I want to hold up to you. Three things that we must be consistent in if we are going to declare the gospel with our lips and with our our lives. Three things that we do as citizens of the kingdom of Jesus. Again, look at verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel so that whether I come to see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are three things, citizens of the kingdom, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in no way alarmed by your opponents. Another way to say this is it's clear. It is clear that we are gospel citizens when we stand, listen, unified in the Holy Spirit to courageously strive together for the furtherance of faith in the gospel. Do you see that? This is how we make it clear that we're citizens uh, of the kingdom of heaven, that we're citizens of of the gospel of Jesus. When we stand unified in the Holy Spirit, when we courageously strive together for the furtherance of faith in the gospel, that declares our allegiance, that declares where our affections lie, and to whom and to where we belong. Now, I I want you to see this statement right next to the verses, and I want to walk through these three statements and make sure we understand what they mean. You see the first one there, the first parallel? Standing firm in one spirit. I want you to see what I see here. There's a verb here, standing firm. It pictures rootedness. It, it pictures courageously being unmoving as if something is pressing against you as hard as it can, but you will not move. And some of you are going, I remember Lord of the Rings when, when he says, thou shall not pass. I mean, this is this is the picture that's being painted for you, that you will not move now the word spirit if you look in your bible it may or may not be capitalized depending on the translation the word is the word "numa," which is the name used every time throughout the new testament to refer to god the holy spirit i'm telling you this i believe fully that this isn't talking about us having a kindred plucky spirit That we just, within ourselves, are gritty and resilient as a people. We just have resolved to be strong and firm and not be pushed around. I believe fully this is referring to us standing united in the Holy Spirit. The presence and the power of God rooting us and making us steady and making us strong and making us unified. Think about Corinthians. Paul says, because you have believed on the gospel... Because you have built your life upon the gospel, you are one body in one spirit. Paul writes, baptized into one body, made to drink of the one spirit, gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit, who is God, many parts, one body, to function together for God's glory. That's what he writes to the Corinthians. To the Ephesians, I want you to see this. It's very similar to what we see in Philippians 1.27. Listen to the words. He says, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, again, in prison, just like in Philippians, he says, I implore you to, sounds familiar, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Sounds like only conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? And he describes it. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, listen, being diligent to preserve the unity of the, somebody say it, Spirit, God the Holy Spirit who binds us together, who helps us to walk. Jesus called him our helper in John 14, who helps us to do what we could not do, who makes us many parts into one body. In the bond of peace, there is one body, one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. To the Corinthians, to the Ephesians, and to the Philippians, Paul is saying it is by standing rooted in God the Holy Spirit. It is by standing rooted in the power and the presence of of the Holy Spirit that you're not a bunch of miscreants, a bunch of misfits, but you are the body of Christ. So the ministry of Christ will work through the body of Christ into the broken and hurting world. It's not a plucky spirit. It's not being in and of yourself gritty and resilient. It's a grit and a resilience that comes because you depend on the Holy Spirit and you do so together. He keeps us together. He helps us to do what we could never do on our own. And he, he unifies us. He roots us not in politics. He roots us not in a style of life or a style of church that we all seem to have a preference for and we like it so that's why we're here together. But He roots us firmly in the gospel that we would not be moved or shaken, and as much as it maybe appears to us on some days or it appears to people outside that we are just a bunch of individuals who live, you know, probably in Collin County or or maybe North Dallas County, and we happen to sit in the same room on Sunday because something about this is, is just a part of our story at this moment. This tells us that we are uniquely connected, we are intimately intertwined because the Holy Spirit has indwelt all of us, and He has bound us together by His power. Don't forget that. Stand firm in one spirit. The second phrase that I'm highlighting here is where he says, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Do you see that? Striving together for the faith of the gospel. The word that he uses for strive here, listen to this word in the Greek, it's sunathleo. Sunathleo. Do you hear the word athlete in there? Sunathleo. Paul pictures the church as a team of athletes who are bent on striving together for success. And if you watch sports or you've played sports, you know what happens in the locker room sometimes is, is destructive to the team. People fight. Stuff gets weird. But the team that wins is the team that gets over the stuff that, in the lo- that happens in the locker room and says, even though we're not getting along here, we're going to strive together and we are going to fight for the win. And Paul realizes that for, for the church, there will be mess. We're people. There's brokenness. Jesus has, has redeemed us spiritually, but we're becoming what we already are, which means we make mistakes, right? We struggle. We don't treat each other right sometimes. We say the wrong thing and it gets awkward and it can, we can hurt each other sometimes. Even in this church, we find in Philippians 4 there's two women who are fighting, who are at odds, who at one time, Paul says, they were striving together with him to further the gospel, but now something has happened between them. And he says, remember who you are Remember that you belong to each other, that you are a team who is fighting not each other but fighting for the gospel to move throughout the earth. And I, that phrase, striving together for the faith of the gospel, you could read that and you could think that Paul's simply saying that they should be striving, fighting that they would grow up in the faith if you read it one way. Striving together for the furtherance of the faith and the gospel, maybe it just means that they should grow and mature in their faith which is a good thing. And Ephesians 4 talks about that. Philippians 2, Paul says we need to exercise our salvation with fear and trembling. We should work out our, our, our salvation with fear and trembling. So, that's good. But here, the very next thing he says talks about being courageous in the face of opposition. Striving for the faith of the gospel... And being courageous in the face of opposition. In Philippians 2, he talks about being shining lights in the world amidst a a perverse and crooked generation. Here, he is talking about us fighting together that the gospel would move forward out from this place into the world to the Philippians that the gospel by which they have come together, the gospel has which has given them life, they once were dead, but now they've been made alive, the gospel which, which binds them would move out from them all throughout Philippi. And because of that, more people would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ because they have heard the gospel, they have seen the gospel at work through the church. Romans 10 told us, because faith comes by hearing. Okay, what's it look like to be a person is a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus Christ well you stand unified with your church unified in the Holy Spirit bound together despite our differences and despite all of the things that we have going on that we are one body striving together that our faith the faith that has saved us would move out from here and more people would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and the third verse third line in no way alarmed by your opponents Paul says the Philippian church that they would be fearless in the face of opposition, whether that opposition came in the form of dismissal. If the people of Philippi said those Christians are idiots, their message is stupid, they're foolish looking, they're weak, they're goofy. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even recognize them as a people or a body. We think that they are absolutely ridiculous in our culture. They have, they're out of touch and have no place in Philippi, so we just disregard them altogether They would have no fear. They wouldn't turn aside. They wouldn't change their message. They would not in any way neuter the gospel working in and through their life. Or if it came to them by aggression and persecution, which it did, that they would not be alarmed. They would not be filled with fear and they would not turn aside. But they would press on. That they would be confident. And yes, we're called to be humble at all times. Our Lord said of himself, I am gentle and lowly of heart. That means he is gentle and humble in heart. And he said, blessed are the meek and yet we should always have a strength a confidence as we face anything in this life not because I'm especially strong or smarter you're especially strong or smart but because Jesus has brought people who were Ephesians 2 says dead and made them alive he's given us new hearts he's given us entrance into the kingdom of God we're citizens not of just this state or this country we're citizens of another country It's the heaven country. It's the gospel country. It has my first fidelity. It has my first allegiance. It's really where my heart and my life belongs. And so even if the world around me is shaking, I won't be shaken because I'm a part of the unshaken kingdom. So I'm sturdy. I'm steady. I will not turn aside in fear, not only because of that, because I'm not in an individual pursuit. I have all of you with me. We're standing unified in the Holy Spirit. I don't face the troubles of this world on my own. I face it with you and not only with you, but we do it with God the Holy Spirit walking with us, His presence and His power in every moment being our helper to help us to see what is true and know what is true and to walk in obedience and faithfulness to our Lord. And Paul says something interesting. He says this too is from the Lord. It's interesting. Paul indicates that even the presence of opposition in our lives is a sign that God is at work and that these Philippians, that their lives and their lips are in line with the gospel of Jesus is what he seems to indicate. That, that in fact, they are living as kingdom citizens and that can be seen because there is opposition to the way they are living. You hear this, faith and persecution are often a package gift. Rarely do they, they separate. Faith usually comes with persecution because when the gospel shines in a dark place, the darkness will try to snuff it out. There's a commentary uh, Jason Meyer wrote, and I want you to hear what he has to say. This is, this is beautiful. He says, persecution, hear this, is a parable. Persecution in your life, Christian, is a parable that puts the death and resurrection of Christ on display again and again. Think about this. Persecutors try to kill the faith of believers like they tried to kill Jesus, but faith rises just like Jesus did. When persecutors try everything in their power to kill faith, but faith refuses to die, resurrection power is on display in this world. Opponents should take fear because now they recognize that they're actually fighting God and they will lose. God's power preserves our faith. He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Christ and nothing, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate believers from his almighty grip of grace. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Church, remember, if you have found faith in Jesus Christ, if you have seen the reality of of Jesus, the eternal Son of God, come to earth, crucified, resurrected, for the sake of, of, of bringing you into relationship with the Lord, rescuing you from being, again, we looked at this word a couple of weeks ago, being lost, wandering around life and not really knowing which way to go. You are a citizen of heaven. You're in the family uh, of God, and I pray for you and for me. I pray for us that we would stand firm, united in the Holy Spirit. We wouldn't be just a bunch of individuals who happen to sit in the same room and live in the same county, but we would cling to each other like we cling to Christ. He saves us into himself, but he saves us in, into a family, that we would stand firm, united in one spirit, that we would strive, strive for the gospel to move from this place and progress, that we wouldn't be content to just show up, that we would be fighting, not at the little things that we fight about against each other, but we would be fighting together, that we would put a lot of effort, that we would work at moving the gospel out from this place into the cities in which we live and the schools in which we attend and the schools that we teach at and the places that we work and the gyms that we work out in, that we would be fighting together that more people would have saving faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would not be alarmed, that we would not turn aside, that we would not be fearful, that we would not weaken our message or mute the message because it's, it's awkward or because the world has said it's foolishness. Corinthians, Paul said, absolutely, the word of the, the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe, but to us it's life, it's everything, right? Pray that we would be unified in one spirit, we would stand firm, strive that the gospel would move forward, that we wouldn't turn aside for anything because Jesus is returning. He's coming again. And for us not to do this together, it's to not do it at all. All of, of these verses, verse 27, 28, every reference is plural. It's not an individual pursuit. It's something that we do together. And to live lives, anything short of this is to cheapen the gospel. And everyone hurts. People who need to hear the good news of Jesus don't hear it. Jesus isn't glorified by them. And we don't get to be a part of a great story. So live lives that will make great songs and great stories on the day that Jesus returns. Lord, would you fill our hearts to bursting with your grace and your truth. May your kindness, which leads to repentance, overwhelm us in such a way that it bursts out from us and more people may come to saving faith through it. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen.